My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames Cast. Um, today is going to be a very short episode. I'm recording this on Tuesday the 23rd of August. I found out last week that obviously the director Wolfgang Peterson had passed away and I thought I would use that as a opportunity to revisit one of his films which I think some people might consider to be something of a guilty pleasure but it's a film that I have gone back to and enjoyed many times over the years and before I um, embarrass myself by saying what film it is I just wanted to do another kind of quick public service announcement. Over the past few years I've toyed with the idea of making short videos about films and these would be kind of like video essays about any kind of aspect of films from a scene that I particularly enjoyed or a piece of music, anything really. And I've always kind of like started something, not quite finished it, changed my mind on a few things. And recently um, I've decided that this is something I'm really going to embrace. And I will carry on doing the podcast in an audio format, but I am going to be releasing uh, videos to YouTube and Vimeo. I've got one underway at the moment and it's another look uh, at the setup and it's an episode it will be slightly different to the podcast that I did on the setup and these videos I only want them to be I suppose at the beginning to be about kind of five minutes long and kind of one of the reasons why I've decided to do it is because I work for a um, design and marketing agency I that primarily deals with uh, public sector projects and I have noticed um, recently I, I do seem to be kind of doing the same things over and over again and I wanted to kind of use this podcast as an opportunity to kind of create more content that's kind of away from my day job as it were for example for the past three months all I've been working on is Christmas and you can imagine what it's like working in, on a Christmas project when it's a massive heat wave going on outside and I think this is going to be a real outlet for me to kind of uh, try out different things um, so there's going to be a video up quite short quite soon on the setup and there will be another one to follow after that which is going to be on my favorite scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind I will let you all know where you can see these videos and when they will be released it seems to be an incredibly popular format on both YouTube and Vimeo I've noticed kind of a lot of people getting very decent views and I wanted to make content which I think is the type of content that I would want to watch and I'm not in any way shape or form um, dismissing some of the videos that I have seen but there is this tendency I've noticed on a lot of them it's such flashy editing no shots seem to hold for more than a few seconds and I think my approach to this is going to be very much kind of um, in the Ken Burns vein slightly more uh, measured a little bit more genteel I suppose in their visual presentation but I will as soon as the first one is up I'm currently editing it at the moment it's been really fun doing it as well so as soon as the setup is ready I will let you all know but the purpose of today's episode is of course to talk about uh, Wolfgang Peterson now I think my first Wolfgang Peterson film was The Never Ending Story which obviously traumatized me greatly as a child when that poor horse dies and then I think after that it might have been Das Boat, a film which I got ridiculously into during my teenage years. I think I might have picked, I might have been lucky enough to get the, the my first experience of it was the extended version that came out on VHS. And I always quite enjoyed In the Line of Fire. Air Force One was kind of dumb fun, but it is his two thousand film the perfect storm that i'm going to talk about today
Fog's just lifting. Throw off your bow line, throw off your stern. Blow your air horn and throw a wave to the lighthouse keeper's kid on Thatcher Island. Guys are busy, you're in charge. You know what? You're a sword boat captain. Can't be good unless you love it. We're going back out. What? I'm headed east, the Flemish Cap. You're going away again? Flemish Cap is almost off the charts. That's where the fish are. For God's sake, don't go. Another trip and the Andrea Gale will own you, like she owns Billy Tyne. I got a woman I can't stand to be more than two feet away from. And again, I love to fish. Now, The Perfect Storm is based around the Sebastian Junger book and is focusing on the commercial sword fishing boat, the Andrea Girl, which leaves from the port of Gloucester in Massachusetts. What we know for a fact is that the Andrea Girl sank somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. No one knows really where. There were parts of the boat that were found to be bobbing along the waves. I think... Um, a lifeboat was found and some of the ship's tackle and parts of the boat were found near Sable Island. But we have absolutely no idea what actually happened on the boat, how it came to sink. I mean, you can speculate, obviously, that there were huge waves and it may well have just capsized and sunk, but no one really knows. So the film from the off is taking massive dramatic liberties with what actually happened on board the Andrea Girl. And of course, this being Hollywood, I think the there, there were uh, boys out in the sea which recorded waves, I think something like 30 metres. But of course, this being Hollywood um, in the perfect storm, the film, I, th I think they're probably like hundreds of metres higher. But whatever, regardless, this is a film I saw at the cinema with my mum. I bought the DVD, I've bought the Blu-ray. And although it's far from perfect, I will readily attest that you could watch this film and quite easily dismiss it. And it, it was not that well received by critics. And if you listen to this scene, um, you might know what I'm talking about. You know, buddy, one of these days your mom's gonna find you a new dad. I don't want a new dad. I'm sorry, but your mom can't sit around by herself all the time. She isn't sitting around. Well, I'm sure he's a good guy. I know your mom wouldn't take up with anybody but a good guy. You know, buddy, the most important thing is that you and Mommy are happy. Can we talk about something else now? I miss you too, buddy. I miss you so damn much. Dialogue that bad should really make me think that this film is irredeemably awful. However, I'm going to caveat that because I think The Perfect Storm is actually 
a fairly decent Hollywood blockbuster. Um, and I think it has a real heart to it. And I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that Peterson actually creates a scenario by which you really actually care about the characters that you are seeing on screen. Because I think he knows that obviously the selling point of the film is going to be the action scenes, i.e. the Andrew Go. And there's a subplot as well with a um, Air National Guard helicopter trying to rescue some sailors. And you are obviously paying, and even the film's marketing, all you see is like a huge wave and a ship going up it. But all of this will be for nothing if the people you're seeing on the screen don't actually resonate with you at all. And we spend some time getting to actually know the crew of the Andrea Gale. We get to see some of their backstories. Some of them are divorced. There's young love, looking for love. And of course, there is the ship's captain, George Clooney, playing the role of Frank Billy Tyne, who after a string of poor catches is desperate to get out to sea and once again prove his worth. What emerges though is a growing sense of the economic urgency and dependency of this small fishing village. All the characters need the money. This is blue collar America and of course the word authentic might be pushing it but these are characters who drink smoke constantly and it's an environment where the men spend weeks at sea whilst the women have to wait nervously at home. That is simply the life they lead. The toll this takes on the community is writ large. Marriages fail, poverty due to a bad catch is a real possibility and of course there is the very real threat of being killed whilst out at sea. A good catch means temporary wealth, a bad one and the fiscal pressure builds. In both instances the sea calls along with its inherent risks. Bob Brown played by Michael Ironside is both the owner of the Andrea Girl and its sister ship the Hannah Bowden which is captained by Mary Elizabeth Mastrino playing the character Linda Greenlaw. Linda is outperforming Billy and the two have a flirtatious relationship. There is a hint that it could go somewhere but the film avoids but the film goes to lengths to show that it's not Billy's male pride that is being damaged. It's not the boys versus the girls. He just wants to prove his worth and prove to his crew that he can still deliver for them. What both Billy and Linda have, however, is mutual respect and the love of the life and job that they have. And the better, I think, is this shown in the character of Bobby, played by Mark Wahlberg. He's in a relationship with Christina, played by Diane Lane. And although he loves his job, he also has a deep love for Diane. However, it is the call of the job that makes him want to go out to sea all the time. And I, th I think it would be foolish to say, really, that people who probably went to go and watch The Perfect Storm, myself included, were not taken in by this portrayal of blue-collar America. We were going because of that wave that we saw in the trailer. And... Peterson, I think, really does do deserve credit here because he resists the urge to jump straight into the effects-laden action sequences which we know are going to be coming. We spend a great deal of time on board the Andrew Girl and it did remind me of the kind of reality that he creates in Das Boat. It's a messy, crappy-looking vessel. The crew bicker, smoke, drink and discuss whether or not the voyage is actually going to be worth it. 
Of course, George Clooney is way too good looking to be in a film like this. And he kind of plays a Giorgio Armani, Captain Ahab, desperately sailing further and further out to sea to see if he can get a bigger catch. Failure is not going to be an option. Money and pride are at stake and both are pushing the Andrea girl into more danger by the minute. Through numerous scenes of exposition at a local news station, we learned that the perfect storm is beginning to brew, however. Now, I think it's worth, at this stage, mentioning the film's effects, because I do believe that when I went back to go and watching it again, that the perfect storm did look a little bit dated. These were effects that were done by Industrial Light and Magic, but one thing Peterson does, which he doesn't completely CGI everything, there's obviously use of quite a large water tank, and I think that actually saves the film from kind of looking too artificial. You can tell that the actors are immersed in water as the various strobe lights going off to replicate thunder and lightning and whatnot. And as much, and it's fairly obvious as well that a lot of footage was actually filmed on a working fishing boat. You do see the actors, Mark Wahlberg, John C. Riley, William Fickner, John Hawkes, by all, for all intents and purposes, actually attaching bait to lines and they, they seem to be working on a real boat and I actually think again this these types of scenes are really important and I think Peterson recognizes that as well because without them I don't think you would buy into the reality of the film in the same way that you do so when the effects do come I think there is a kind of juxtaposition between kind of what's being shot for real and what's obviously CGI and I think between the two it was just enough I never felt like I was being taken out of the film despite the fact that as I said, these effects do look quite dated, I think. And one of the problems, as I understand, having spoken to someone in the effects industry, is natural elements are really hard to make to, to make look realistic. Um, it's something which I think has gotten better with time. But I mean, obviously, this film is now 22 years old, so I'm, I'm going to forgive it for that aspect of it. However, as we get out there, Armani Ahab Clooney is in his element. This was Clooney, I think, at his pure Hollywood eye candy. And although the film hardly stretches his acting skills, you believe in Billy. He's a, he's a leader, a man of virtue and integrity. And he wants, he genuinely wants to deliver for his crew. I think Mark Wahlberg at this stage in his career was far more likeable than he's become, I suppose, an evolution of the dumb kid we get from Boogie Nights. And of course, Wahlberg would go on in later life to become the world's highest paid star. There was a slight naivety, and I think about him, and a kind of doe-eyed affection for Billy, and that you want to see his faith in Billy rewarded, and that the crew are going to be delivered a great catch. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there are varying accounts of just how big the storm actually got apparently there was one boy near sable island that did record something like a hundred foot waves but of course this is hollywood so the storm has to be absolutely biblical in proportions it was noted as well and i think this is one of the areas where a, a great deal of controversy came about the film because in the film what happens is the ice machine that's keeping the catch cold uh, breaks and the crew according to the film were left with a choice they could have either stayed out in sea avoided the storm or sailed back to try and stop the catch from spoiling and obviously have their big payday in reality what would happen and in the film it makes it look like billy and the crew decide to risk it all and sail back to gloucester in reality 
the Andrew Girl was way on its way back to Gloucester when the storm struck. And apparently the weather would not have been that uncommon to Billy Tyne, who had been out quite a few times in similar sized storms. But whatever, this is Hollywood. So I think we obviously have to have some kind of dramatic attention created that way. And I think Peterson comes into his own. We go back from the Andrew Girl to the pararescue team trying to desperately save the crew of a capsized sailing yacht. And Peterson is, I think, quite an underrated action director because the scenes in The Perfect Storm are legitimately gripping. He knows how to hold a shot. He knows how to build suspense. There is a scene where a helicopter is trying to do air-to-air -air refueling in the storm and it is legitimately agonising to watch. But you're always aware of the geography of what's going on. And he never overly edits an action sequence either. I really, to this day, don't understand the affection people have for Tony Scott. I, I just don't think he was a particularly good director. Um, certainly he, know, he knew how to make things look pretty, but for example, when I revisited Top Gun, I thought that film was a complete and utter mess. Perhaps something like Man on Fire, which I considered probably be his best film, but Peterson, I don't think, really gets the credit he actually deserves. And he really doesn't have that big a filmography. Certainly the 90s, I think, were his most kind of prolific directing period. And of course, he did make Troy, which again, I think is actually one of a slightly underrated, one of those post-gladiator epics. But I legitimately, every time I watch A Perfect Storm, find the actual storm sequences to be absolutely gripping. Um, of course, I add the aforementioned effects might not still hold up quite as much as we would like today. But that being said, I'm always completely invested in the film and the characters that I'm watching, even the helicopter crew who we don't really get to know that well, um, they certainly don't get any kind of backstory. But you care about those guys, there's a legitimate sense of peril that he creates on screen. And I think what he does in The Perfect Storm is he embraces the fact that he is making a film within the Hollywood system and very much with a kind of Hollywood mythical sheen spread over it. Now if you think about something like Das Boat, which really shows the grim reality of being a submariner, the misery and the hardship, and death when it comes is a fairly brutal, awful thing. So of course when the inevitable happens and the huge wave finally consumes the Andrea Gale, the crew are given time to reflect on their fate. John C. Riley's character wonders about what's going to happen to his boy, and they're able to exchange terrified and worried looks to each other as the ship fills up with water. Billy and Bobby have a conversation and decide that they're going to escape the Andrea Gale and try and reach the surface. However, of course, Billy, being a man of honour, is going to go down with the ship and his crew. And I actually think it's a genuinely poignant moment. Mark Woolworth's Bobby manages to get out and head for the surface and floats in the sea, dreaming about Christina, the love of his life. Now, I think this scene is indicative of why a lot of people love and hate Hollywood. For the cynical, you can sneer at the phoniness of it all. Yet, I think sometimes Hollywood is about giving us comfort. For example, Quentin Tarantino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood brought Sharon Tate back to life for us because whenever you think about Sharon Tate, 
you thought of a gruesome, hideous murder. But Tarantino manages to bring her back and give her a celluloid life that I think has been so sorely missing because of what happened to her in reality. And The Perfect Storm does a similar thing for the crew of the Andrea Gale. Let's be completely honest, their deaths were probably most likely utterly horrific. I can't imagine the terror of what it must have been like capsizing or whatever happened to them in the freezing Atlantic Ocean. You can only hope, I suppose, that they died quickly and as painlessly as possible. Here, they get to go out with some kind of dignity. And I think in instances like this, and I think this is what Hollywood does so well sometimes, it kind of gives you closure to these characters' lives, an emotional send-off that, yes, it might be a tad cheesy and corny, but why not? This is not Das Boat after all. And of course, after the storm, we have the scenes of the funerals taking place with Linda giving a eulogy. The community has lost some of its men, husbands, fathers. There will be places at the dinner table after this event. Yet the film doesn't shy away from the fact that life in Gloucester will carry on as per normal. Ships will set out and sail on their dangerous missions. And the film's climax with Linda sailing off into the sea with Biddy's words replaying in her ears about how much she loved being a swordboat fisherman never ever fails to get me. She's where she wants to be. Captain of her own ship. Dangers be damned. And yes, I think the film is going for a kind of James Cameron's Titanic send-off. And of course, you even have a James Horner score when some of the themes and I think some of the uh, the motifs, certainly in his score for this, do echo that of Titanic. But I think The Perfect Storm makes a point. It's that the fact that it's people like these in these types of communities who have to go out and do the dangerous work. And danger is part of that world. And of course, life does go on, even though even though sadly some are left behind. And it's interesting to me because when I read a lot of that, I went, I went back and when I was researching this episode to go and read some of the contemporary reviews of The Perfect Storm. And a lot of people, a lot of critics claimed that it was an incredibly depressing film. Um, and the fact that they, it did leave them a bit cold. And it's interesting because I, what, what was Peterson supposed to do was, well, you can easily imagine, I think perhaps in, an, in another another filmmaker or other producers or whatever would have had a scene of everyone on Gloucester looking out to see at the storm and then the Andrea Gale sailing through the the mist with the ship bruised and battered and everyone running down to the docks to see them and everyone happy that um, they had survived and perhaps there would have been a scene as well where the Michael Ironside character would have gone to inspect the the catch and it would have spoiled and Billy would have said it was all about getting his men back and blah blah blah. That doesn't happen and um, Peterson I think is very respectful to the material and I think makes a genuinely emotionally fitting tribute to that world and to that crew. Now I don't like to use the term guilty pleasure, I, I, I'm not sure I even agree that there is such thing as a guilty pleasure and I, I think Anyone I think could legitimately tell me that The Perfect Storm was a pretty crappy film, but I don't care. I think sometimes I've, I've, I've gone back to it several times and it's a film I will continue to watch again in the future because I genuinely, I think sometimes when I want a bit of a, a dollop of Hollywood sentimentality, I don't think you can go too wrong with it. Um, 
Peterson, I don't think he leaves a particularly huge filmography, but it's in, there's some legitimately interesting films in there. I think there's a Stone Cold classic in the form of Das Boat. Um, the Never Ending Story, I think, is a, really, is, is a children's film. I think that actually, unlike something like The Goonies, legitimately holds up. In the Line of Fire, I always thought was quite a interesting Clint Eastwood film. I enjoyed Outbreak for sure. Again, quite enjoyed Air Force One. I've not seen it since the 90s, so I, I'm not, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it holds up now. But again, I did quite um, enjoy Troy. I haven't seen his Poseidon remake, but but overall i definitely think there's more than enough material in there to go back to so that's going to be it for this episode um i am obviously still this was supposed only supposed to be a filler episode i'm still recording some of the uh, next 70 millimeter episodes that hopefully be with you soon and i will post an update when that first setup uh, video essay is on youtube so many thanks for listening you can email me at 24framescast at gmail.com and the blog is on 24framescast.blogspot.com. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, drop me an email because if you haven't heard, I was actually banned from Twitter. I have come back and set up another account, but I don't want to be too boisterous about it in case I get banned again. So yeah, if you want to follow me and I'll follow you, it's uh, yeah, drop me an email. So many thanks for listening and I'll be in contact soon. Bye.